Hello, I'm Rhonda Nowak for the Mail Tribune and Rosebud Media. This is The Literary Gardener for April the 1st, 2021. The topic this time is Join a Revival of Kitchen Gardens. A kitchen garden is the missing piece in the pursuit of a whole and happy life. Nicole Johnsy Burke, Kitchen Garden Revival, 2020. I'm impressed with the level of enthusiasm that author Nicole Burke demonstrates for Kitchen Gardens, and after reading Kitchen Garden Revival, I'm convinced she means every word. In her book, Burke shares how her kitchen gardens and the delicious vegetables, herbs, and fruits they produce have helped her turn an eating disorder into a healthier relationship with food. Not only that, but creating kitchen gardens has helped her turn each of several houses where she and her family have relocated over the years into a real home where she feels like she belongs. In fact, Burke is so sure it's time for a revival of kitchen gardens that she started a nationwide garden consulting business called Gardenary, www.gardenary.com, and a Houston-based company called Rooted Gardens. Her book, Kitchen Garden Revival, is the result of several years of experience designing, installing, and maintaining small-scale, low-maintenance, raised-bed gardens. I think the book strikes the perfect balance between being enjoyable to read and highly detailed about each step of the process involved in turning your dreams of having a kitchen garden into joyful reality. So, what is a kitchen garden? They're called potagers in France, which derived from pottage, a term used for thick vegetable soup. A potager is a garden where vegetables, fruits, and herbs are grown for everyday use in the garden. Burke writes, Instead of a rambling field or an entire yard planted with vegetables, a kitchen garden is separate from the rest of the landscape and created to be a central feature. It's not something to tuck behind the garage and hide from neighbors. It's set up to be beautiful, front and center. Not only are aesthetics an important part of kitchen gardens, Burke also says they should be designed as a gathering place for family and friends. Her recommendations for raised bed designs makes kitchen gardens easier than vegetable patches to tend all year. During the next few weeks, I'll be sharing some of the insights Burke provides about kitchen gardening in her book. You can also download a free kitchen garden journal on her website. Once you've decided to become a part of the kitchen garden revival, the first step is to locate the best site for a kitchen garden on your property. Burke says there are four key factors to consider when siting a garden. Sunlight and wind exposure, proximity to a water source, convenience to the house, and aesthetics. I analyzed each of these factors when considering where a kitchen garden could be placed in the limited space I have in my backyard in Medford. Ideally, kitchen gardens should receive at least six hours of direct sun each day throughout the year. This is difficult to find in the free space I have because of surrounding buildings, fencing, and tall trees. There is a 20-foot wide by 25-foot long grassy area facing southeast that's protected from the wind. During the late spring and summer, this area gets about three hours of sunlight in the morning and another three hours later in the afternoon. But in the winter, when the sun is lower on the horizon, this area receives only three to four hours of direct sun each day. Some sunlight is gained when the sycamore trees have dropped their leaves. 
That doesn't mean I can't have a kitchen garden in this space, only that I need to consider which plants will grow well under these sunlight conditions. During the summer, I could grow beans, peas, and root crops that require about six hours of sunlight, as well as herbs and leafy greens that require two to four hours of direct sunlight. In the winter, I can still grow crops of different kinds of greens, Plants that like a lot of sun, such as tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, and melons, would not grow well in this location. The next thing to consider is how to water the garden. Most edible crops need about one inch of water a week, so it will be important for the garden to be located close to a spigot or other water source for watering to be easy and consistent. There's a water spigot attached to the house about 15 feet away from this area. Unfortunately, the spigot is behind a pond, but I can attach a hose and connect drip lines for the, car for the kitchen garden from it. The issue would be to cover the hose so I'm not constantly tripping over it. The third factor to consider is the kitchen garden's proximity to the house, as close to the kitchen as possible. Out of sight, out of mind is absolutely true when it comes to a kitchen garden. Luckily, the area I have in mind is steps away from my back door, so there's no chance it will be forgotten. Fourth, Brooke recommends thinking about how the kitchen garden will tie into the aesthetics of your home and the surrounding landscape. She says, by selecting existing elements in your landscape to match the garden, you'll give your garden a sense of belonging. The area I'm considering is in between the house and a detached cottage, so I can mimic the wooden siding of the buildings and the wooden fences with raised beds made out of untreated cedar. I'll discuss more about building raised beds next week. Finally, before moving to the design process, which entails sketching a garden layout, Brooke says it's important to consider input and output goals. How much time, energy, and money do you have to spend on your kitchen garden? In return, how much do you want your garden to give to you? One of the things I particularly like about Burke's book is the level of detail she provides in thinking through the decision to have a kitchen garden. For example, she calculates gardeners will need about two minutes per square foot of garden space each week for planting and harvesting, and about one minute per square foot each week for tending the garden. If I have two raised beds, four feet wide by eight feet long, that's 64 square feet of space that will require around two hours a week for planting and harvesting and one hour for maintaining. In my experience, that sounds about right. In terms of monetary input, Burke estimates gardeners will need between $25 to $50 per square foot if they make their own kitchen garden, or $100 per square foot if they hire a professional to install the garden. For my 64 square feet of garden space, I can expect to spend at least $1,600 on a do-it-yourself installation project. For this amount of input, Burke estimates the output from my kitchen garden will be an average of one to two harvests a month from each square foot of growing space. For a 60-foot square foot garden, that equals an average harvest of three servings per day during the peak growing season. Rather than viewing my kitchen garden as a way to save money on food costs, Burke advises gardeners to see it as an investment in our home and landscape, as well as an investment in our physical and mental health.
As I've mentioned before, I also feel good about growing my own food as a way to cut hidden costs to the environment, included in processing, packaging, and transporting food. Next week, I'll go into more detail about building and installing a kitchen garden. But for now, I'll end with why Brooke believes a kitchen garden revival is necessary. She writes, with the input of technology and industry, our food systems have changed dramatically over the last century. And while not all the change has been bad, the kitchen garden is something that should have stayed. To create whole and happy lives for the beauty in our homes, for the benefit of our community, and for the good of the world, it's time for a kitchen garden revival. And I'll end with my garden to-do list this week. I'm going to continue the process of sowing seeds, pricking out, potting up, hardening off. I'll focus on sowing seeds for warm weather crops, such as cucumbers, eggplant, peppers, squash, tomatoes, as well as warm weather annual herbs, basil, cilantro, dill, fennel, and chives. I'll take stock of seedling attrition so far and sow more seeds accordingly. Particularly, my spinach and Swiss chard seedlings haven't done well, so I'll sow more of those. Seeds sown now will stay in my sunroom because the greenhouse is getting too hot during the day. I'll plant out cool weather crops and raised beds such as peas, beets, carrots, cabbages, leafy greens, leeks, spinach, and cilantro. I'll plant seed potatoes in grow bags and continue covering the foliage as it emerges. And I'll transplant or remove herbaceous perennials that aren't thriving in their current location. And that's it for The Literary Gardener this time. Thanks so much for listening and happy gardening.